0: My name is William Minar, and this is The American Immigrant, the podcast about immigration in America. My guest today is Rabbi Faith Joy Dantowitz. She is a rabbi at Temple B'nai Abraham in Livingston, New Jersey. Recently, her synagogue has provided assistance to a Syrian refugee family that has been resettled in New Jersey following the outbreak of a civil war that is still ravaging the nation of Syria. Rabbi Dantowitz, thank you for joining me today.
1: Thank you. It's nice to be here.
0: Temple B'nai Abraham has provided assistance to the Zakour family, which arrived in um, Elizabeth, New Jersey in July of 2015 after they were relocated from Syria to the United States by the International Rescue Committee, or IRC, uh, a non-governmental organization focusing on humanitarian crises around the world. This type of resettlement can be a huge culture shock for Syrians and many others and is uh, something that the IRC typically does not help with. After meeting with this family, you recently said that it was clear the temple could do hands-on things the IRC can't do. How did the Zakor family come to you, and what types of services or assistance do you provide?
1: Thank you. Um, the Zakor family arrived, as you said, in July of 2015, but they did not come directly from Syria. They actually left Syria in September of 2011 and spent four years in Jordan. So they were resettled for about four years there where it was pretty challenging to live there. Physically they were safe, but emotionally it was a really difficult experience. The Jordanians were not happy with all the Syrian refugees. And then after a thorough process of vetting, it's actually very hard to be able to get to America to come here as refugees, they made it to Elizabeth. And last fall, the fall of 2015, I learned about some Syrian refugees that were living in Elizabeth. I learned about it through a email, a Google group that I'm part of in Milburn, Short Hills, and heard that there were a few families there. And I had been thinking, what can we do as a synagogue? How can we help? We had been hearing a lot about it. And that horrible photo that we'd seen last summer with the young boy who died by drowning, just like pierced everybody's hearts. And yet, it felt so hard to find that there was something that we could do. So then when I learned about these families that were in Elizabeth, I said, let me see how we can get involved. And with a couple of my congregants, spoke with them about it, and then a couple of us went down to Elizabeth, where one woman, Nicole Nadej, and another woman, Rena Shanawani, had started organizing tutoring sessions on Saturday afternoons at the public library in Elizabeth. They felt that this was something that volunteers could come together for And at least help the Syrians with some of their English skills, which were minimal at best. So I went to check it out, and it was pretty much chaotic. Um, There were lots of family members there, and looking, there were plenty of volunteers, and the English was almost non-existent. Um, So just work through some letters, work through some words, and then it became clear that as helpful as it was to try to set something up, it would be even better if the same family could get the same group of volunteers, at least have a cadre of volunteers that would get to know them and become their regular supporters. So by last winter, it was decided that we would work with the Zakor family. The Zakor family consisted at that time of Muhammad, the father, Muhammad Ali Zakor, and his wife, Samar. And at the time they had three children, Muhammad Salman, their oldest son, Zayn, and then their daughter, Judy, and Samar was pregnant. And since then she's given birth to a, another baby girl. Maria, who was born at the end of June. So now there are four children who are nine, seven, three, and a few months old. And we got more congregants involved and started going on the weekends on the afternoons, Shabbat afternoons, to volunteer first at the library, but then we started meeting at the mosque across the street from their house or their apartment or at their apartment. So kind of either location. And I've been working with them just helping the boys go over their homework or helping the parents go over their ESL studies, whatever they've been working on, and and playing some sports sometimes as well, just to do some other things. And then a few more people have gotten involved and some social outings have happened a trip to the movies, a trip to the Turtleback Zoo, um, to the swan boat rides at at the paddle house, the paddle boat house in West Orange. And just more connections have been evolving since that time. And at the end of the summer, this of course invited a bunch of us. They wanted to thank the volunteers so they actually invited us to their apartment and made a big meal for those who weren't away at the end of August and welcomed us to their home as a kind of a thank you. But we've been trying to stay connected, we have been staying connected to them and just trying to see how we can be of help. Been very fortunate to have a woman, Selma Faraj, who herself came here from Syria a few decades ago. So she's also been able to translate for us because none of us speak Arabic, and Google Translate only goes so far. It's interesting what kind of translations you get with Google Translate. So she's been able to communicate when different situations arise and able to help us understand more things. And at this point, we're still going on the weekends to help them with English and still trying to set up different social events. Um, This past week was the Jewish holiday of Sukkot, the fall harvest festival, where Jews are commanded to build a sukkah. It's like a temporary hut. And it's a mitzvah, a commandment to welcome guests into your sukkah. So I invited this a core family, and they came to my sukkah, along with many of the congregants who have been helping them this past few months. It was really nice to celebrate the holiday together.
0: Uh, are they Muslim?
1: Yes, they are Muslim.
0: Okay, so what, what has that been like? How is the relationship between um, your congregation, you know, a Jewish temple, and, and, and them as Muslim?
1: Well, we don't, you know... We don't spend every time talking about politics or religion or philosophy, but they certainly know that we are Jewish, that we're part of a synagogue, and they are happy about that. When I say that, you know, Muhammad will say, yeah, we have lots in common. Um, We'll speak about different holidays that are coming up, and... um, connect in that way as well or when the baby was born I asked you know how do you welcome the baby and had you know a ceremony to welcome the little girl and make comparisons of different welcoming ceremonies so there's a warm feeling and we're all children of Abraham so there's a connection that way and the part of politics that will come up will be when we say you know we know there's been a lot of difficult speech that's been said about Muslims anti-Muslim speech and there's a connection that we feel saying you know we we support you we're we're here to befriend you and to help you acclimate to being here in America. And we don't think that anybody should say you shouldn't be here because of your religion or anything like that.
0: Uh, That actually kind of brings me to a a somewhat broader point, which you can certainly bring back to the Zagor family. Uh, Recently, Pope Francis uh, stressed uh, the quote, solidarity with the migrant, solidarity with the foreigner. It appears that the silent work of men and women who, in different ways, do what they can to help and assist refugees and migrants is being drowned out by the noise made by those who give voice to an instinctive egoism. He concluded by, uh, by saying that as followers of Christ, we, may we never close our hearts to those in need. Do you agree with that sentiment? And what role do you believe faith has in the current refugee crisis or in immigration in general of welcoming people into the country?
1: Absolutely. I think you said many wise things, and I definitely agree that we should be welcoming the stranger. It's a commandment from the Torah. We're commanded dozens of times, about 36 times, to welcome the stranger. We were strangers in the land of Egypt, so we know what it's like to be the stranger. So it's important to welcome the stranger. And here's a synagogue we've signed on to the HIAS, which is the Hebrew Immigration Association, they've had a campaign to welcome the stranger, the welcome campaign, and a couple hundred synagogues around the country have signed on to that as well. So we're part of that campaign to say that we welcome people. We welcome people to be here, to be immigrants here, to support them coming here.
0: Have you kind of learned about uh, Islam from the Zakour family? Have they learned about Judaism from you? And has that helped you understand the similarities between the two uh, two religions or maybe see the differences but how the differences could be bridged?
1: I think that we're starting to learn about Islam a little bit from them and they're starting to learn about Judaism a little bit from us. We haven't had a lecture on it per se, it's just little steps. So for example, know kashrut keeping kosher and halal the type of meat that they'll eat and the type of meat that kosher meat that jews would eat so understanding some similarities there or holidays that there are so many holidays on the calendar that we're not aware of on a regular basis so to know like oh you know this was ramadan this is the month that ramadan was happening and to actually be mindful of that and to recognize how hard it was for Everybody who is observing Ramadan that they're fasting all day long in the summer months and just to understand that better, to um, to celebrate to, to acknowledge that they're celebrating different holidays and for them to acknowledge it. I mean I received a text message from Muhammad wishing me a happy Rosh Hashanah. You know, it's the first time I've got a happy Rosh Hashanah text message from a Muslim man. So and that's, you know, a one a wonderful thing to connect in that way.
0: From what you've seen in in working with them what seems to be the biggest issues with trying to to live in the United States here. so you mentioned language and that's, right. a, that's a very obvious one but w- what kind of other things are we talking about what uh, on a day-to-day basis
1: well finding work so and that's connected to the language so not having the language skills to really work in many jobs is challenging so getting their language skills increased to be able to get a job um, during this past year, as Samar was pregnant with a baby, she had some challenges with the pregnancy, so it was hard to really pursue finding a job while you're worried about your wife if she's going to have the baby early or not have the baby early. So, you know, now he's been trying to really increase the English skills so that he can find a job, and um, just being concerned about your children, you know, wanting to make sure that your kids are okay, that things are going to be okay for your kids. So, and also, of course, they're concerned about their family members who are still in Syria. So. Um, it's not, you know, in the, mo- it, in the modern day where you have a cell phone where you can FaceTime, you can see what's going on everywhere. So even though they're here and they're safe, they know what's still going on on a regular basis.
0: Have they become members of a mosque? There's the- a
1: mosque um, right near where they live, and there's a large um, community of Muslims that are in Elizabeth, and they, they've been going to different different Islamic centers and things like that. So they have a connection to the Islamic community, to the Muslim community.
0: Do you coordinate with them in any way? Is there any kind of interfaith uh, yes. connection? Yes, so
1: there have been some meetings where it's volunteers from all all different faiths. Um, so we have connected and we've met at the Islamic center and there are people working together to help the Syrian refugees, people from churches, from synagogues, from the mosques. So there's a lot of people. Some of it's more coordinated than other things, but... Um, we have connected and a new project that started with a couple of women in Montclair that other people are doing as well as the Syrian Supper Club. So this is an opportunity for most of the Syrian women, but the men who also cook to provide meals and to have someone hosted at his or her home, you know, one of the Americans to host it at his or her home and have about 10 or so guests and have the Syrian woman or couple women cook the meal and they'll be able to feel good about providing a wonderful meal and, and, and uh, make a little bit of money to, uh, to do that. So it's nice to be able to do the Syrian Supper Club. We're looking forward to having one of our members host one soon.
0: Yeah, and I, I, I'm not sure that there's too much discussion or, or people don't talk enough about how people of different faith and, and um, religious congregations are supporting each other in the U.S. I think there's, we've heard a lot about division, but not so much about how members of various faiths are supporting, are helping to support all members of their community.
1: Yes, and um, I'm forgetting the acronym, so excuse me, there's a new organization, New Jersey Interfaith Organization, that has been putting out a lot of statements for any violent or horrible act that's been happening. It's been a wonderful coalition of People from all different faiths you know Islam, from Christianity, from Judaism—to connect to say, like, we deplore this event that happened, or we we stand against this, we condemn this act, whatever terrorist act or act of violence, um, whether it's anti-Semitic vandalism or um, Muslim terrorism, like you know, whatever it is, like any religion, like if somebody's being targeted, to say, like you know, whoever's being targeted, we stand against this. So that's been connected as well, and I kind of see some of the names that are floating between people I met. Originally connected to helping with the Syrian refugees, to be involved with this organization as well. So some of it happens in cyberspace, and some of it happens in person. So,
0: you know, recently over this, over this, uh, over the course of this election, numerous politicians um, have kind of tested the decency of discourse, separation of church and state, a lot, a lot of things, calling for restrictions on immigration to the U.S. for people from Muslim majority countries, with some including Donald Trump calling for a ban on Muslims coming into the U.S., or at least extreme vetting. His policy seems to change uh, pretty frequently. As a woman of faith in a religion that still is a small minority in the United States, how does that kind of rhetoric make you feel?
1: Horrible. Um, I, I think that anytime anybody is targeted for the color of their skin, for the religion, for any one characteristic that is not based on if you're a decent human being, it's crazy, and it makes me certainly think of Pastor Martin Niemöller's poem that is in the Holocaust Museum in Washington, D.C., you know, when they came for the communists, I didn't speak up because I wasn't a communist, and so today we would say, and when they came for the Muslims, I didn't speak up because I wasn't a Muslim. When they came for the Mexicans, I didn't speak up because I wasn't a Mexican, and I, when, I, when they came for the woman or the nasty woman, then maybe I spoke up, you know, wh- when are we going to speak up? And I think it's really important to speak up for everybody, so... Um, Certainly, it's been a scary time with a lot of hate speech, and I stand against all the hate speech.
0: Yeah, and and it sounds a lot like what was said about it. What's been said about Jews in the past of um, certainly during the Holocaust right. of right. not wanting you know of the fear of the other and and the fear of the foreigner. Um, well, and
1: that's that's the thing about being involved with the Zakhor family and helping Syrian refugees. So there's. There are so many ways to help people and to help make a difference in this world, to really heal our world, tikkun olam, to repair or heal the world. And you can do it through tzedek, through acts of justice, where you work on changing the system, so changing legislation to really fix the problem from that core, changing how it functions, to acts of Gimelut chasadim, acts of loving kindness, hands-on, you know, going to the Zekor's home. and teaching them a little bit of English or playing ball with the kids, that's a hands on active chesed and that makes a difference too. So I think that this opportunity to do that has brought a little bit of healing because there's we're building connection and making them feel welcome here, letting them know that we we do care about them, that they belong here. And we can't solve all the world's problems overnight, no one can, but we can make a difference. And so that's what's been rewarding.
0: On, the, on what you just mentioned a little bit before um, about changing legislation, of trying to make a difference in any way that you can, in 2015, you went to Guatemala with the American Jewish World Service to address the plight of indigenous Maya people who were systematically tortured, killed, uh, brutalized in the decades-long Guatemala Civil War. Um, You focus on several issues, including reducing hunger, advocating against discrimination and violence, particularly against women, and educating people about human rights. Uh, In the U.S., we tend to focus on the second step of refugee crises, i.e., what do we do when people arrive in the U.S.? So um, what can be done to assist people in other countries, uh, whether it's Syria or Guatemala or elsewhere, so that the types of refugee crises these types of crises don't start in the first place.
1: Well, there's a lot of work to be done in so many countries. American Jewish World Service is the only Jewish organization that's dedicated to helping in many developing countries around the world. It's a specifically Jewish organization helping in non-Jewish locations where they're helping fight poverty, bring an end to discrimination of LGBT people, help with women's rights, civil rights, civil rights land rights. So. By going there and and being on the ground and getting to meet the people from the NGOs who are doing the hands-on work, finding out who you can help so that if you're making a donation to an organization like AJWS to know that they've been, for example, Haiti, which has had the horrible hurricane, they've been helping in Haiti for a long time. So I know if I make a donation to American Jewish World Service, earmarked for Haiti, I know that they know where to get those funds to. It's not going to be caught up in bureaucracy. So I know that it's going to actually... Make a difference. So that's one way to help. Um, in terms of visiting the, the different countries that where people need help, it's you know going with an organization that can get you to the right places to make a difference. Um, and sometimes sending money is the most helpful for some of those countries as well. So
0: for a family like this, a core family, do they, from what from at least from what you know, I obviously can't speak for them, but. Do you have the feeling that they would want to go back to Syria if they could? Or is it, do they prefer, to now that they're here, to stay here? I mean, obviously, Syria is a difficult situation because right. it's largely not a country anymore. Right.
1: I think, I think ideally, if Syria <laughs> could be like it was before the war, they'd probably love to go back home. It's home. You know, anybody who's had to leave a war-torn country, that's your home. I think people want to go back. But the challenge is, is there a place to go back to? So, you know, they still a family there. So some of their families left, but they still a family there. So, you know, there's a longing for that. They know that it's they're they're fortunate to be here in America, but it doesn't mean that it's not hard.
0: And I think that kind of gets to an interesting problem that we have. Like, is so for instance, if you like when you went to Guatemala, there are situations where in probably in Guatemala and and elsewhere where. You'd want to improve the country conditions for people so that they could live, you know, with basic human rights. But it, in some instances, it's not possible. So is the ultimate goal to help the country as much as you can or to help people? And, and, and in that sense, you may want to relocate people. Mm. So is the, is the ultimate goal to improve a condition or to improve an individual's life?
1: Yes. I mean, <laughs> right. say yes and yes. You know, I'm, I'm thinking of some of the people that I met there, some amazing human rights workers who are working so hard in a difficult system in, in Guatemala where there's so much corruption and our government certainly was part of the corruption. So um, the challenges are enormous and safety issues are, are a big factor. And um, ideally, you want them to be able to work hard to change the system from within to make it a safer country to be in so they can live there and be productive there. But the challenges are really vast, so helping them at least work on whatever areas they're working on, whether it's you know, getting rights for women, getting rights for LGBT community, getting rights for owning the land properly in the area where they're living so that's not taken over by big corporations, all different organizations that we've met with that are working on these issues to help them and support them. But the, the problem is vast, so um, you know, I think the idea is for people to be able to stay in their country. That is the idea. It doesn't mean that we can fix the whole country overnight, though. So it's any of them. There's so many countries with so many challenges. So pretty overwhelming.
0: After the election, um, assuming, well, I'm assuming nothing. Thank you. Um, We can't make any assumptions (laughs) about anything. We can't really assume anything. But after all this anti-Muslim talk and, and just, I think, such vitriol surrounding religion where many Christian people in this country have kind of co-opted the idea that we should kick out the other. And people have adopted that as a Christian idea when it really isn't a Christian idea. And what what do you kind of, it's a very general question, but what do you kind of hope happens once this is done and we can kind of move on a little bit?
1: Oh, well, I don't think it's going to be done after the elections because... Of all the vitriol that's been stirred up these last this last year or so, I don't think that that just goes back to sleep. I think that there's a lot of work to be done in our country amongst people, and to connect, to hopefully connect with individuals to recognize, and that's going back to the is like getting to know the other, to recognize that there is a connection. You know, this week that we're speaking is Parshah rashit the Torah portion is the first Torah portion of Genesis. And it's creation. And God is creating the world. And God is creating human beings. And we're all created, Elohim, we're all created in the image of God. Everyone, not just the Jews, not just the Muslims, not just the atheists. Like, we're all created in God's image, whatever your notion of God is. But to recognize that we're all special. We're all unique individuals that all belong here on earth and share this this world together. So hopefully we can start recognizing the connections that we have. You know, it's, it's so hard. It's easy to, to um, perhaps think that you don't like somebody because you don't know them. But then when you get to know them, then you can say, like, wow, I really have a connection with somebody. I didn't, I didn't know that I could like somebody who did this or, did, or was into that. But just by finding out what somebody does, connecting with them, you need to build connections between individuals. That's a really big part of it.
0: Yeah, well, I think that's a good... Uh, note to end on. Um, Once again, my guest uh, is Rabbi Faith Joy Dantowich. Uh, She's a rabbi at Temple B'nai Abraham in Livingston, New Jersey. Thank you so much for coming. Thank you. Uh, My name is William Menard, and this is The American Immigrant.